Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 196th program of Think Again, a program of Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for about 25 years now. I'm Jennifer Burrell, your host today. Jacques isn't here, but we have a wonderful guest on the program today, Elsa Jewett Rosenberg. Elsa is a que- describes herself as a queer, multiracial, Jewish and Chinese woman of colour and co-founder of the anti-racism organisation Hue, which provides training workshops and consultancy. So welcome to the program, Elsa. Thanks for having me. Real pleasure. So firstly, Elsa, can you briefly tell us what Hue is and what it does? Yeah, so Hugh, we're an entirely POC or people of colour-led organisation. Um, we develop and deliver anti-racism and social justice training programs alongside consultation to organisations, community groups and individuals too. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that overview and we'll no doubt hear more, under, get to understand that more throughout the program today. So uh, it would be great to hear about why you co-founded Hugh in the first place. Can you tell us a bit about your story leading up to the co-founding of Hugh, starting with your time as, I understand, a social work student and your journey in the community service sector? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so in terms of my story, I think it starts probably with my family. I think uh, I come from a really social justice-oriented family who really shaped my values and beliefs. And uh, that sort of is what steered me initially into studying social work, thinking that maybe that was where I would want to actualize some of my values. Um, I quickly learned that that was not at all where I want to actualize mm. my values. Um, I think I felt pretty quickly, especially after my initial placement was that uh, you know, as a social worker, I realized that I would be the the arbiter of, of harm and uh, power over communities in a way that I, you know, really wasn't comfortable with and that uh, the, the scope for systemic change in social work, at least in the spaces that I could foresee being a part of, wasn't really as possible as I would have hoped and that it was more working in a system that was uh, really, really harmful Uh, And even, you know, by the time I finished the course as well, I think I had done so much of my own personal growth of discovering who I am and who my communities are and was involved in so much mutual aid within my own communities and leadership within my own communities that I started to really see the shortcomings in the social work kind of curriculum in general. I think that social work really, even though it talks a lot about bottom-up approaches, doesn't really equip 
community members or marginalised groups to work within their communities. You know, there's not much conversations about finding leadership within your communities or how to work with other people, how to resolve conflict within your communities, how to navigate, you know, re-traumatisation when you're working within your communities. None of those things are really discussed and there is an inherent assumption in there, I think, that, you know, as a as a social worker you are white or you are wealthy or you are privileged and that you are in a kind of saviour positionality with the communities that you work with rather than being part of those communities yourself. So pretty quickly I steered away from that, ended up working in the kind of for change sector, um, you know, which is kind of mostly not-for-profits or social enterprises. And uh, I think I went in with the idea, which I'm sure a lot of people of colour go in with, or a lot of anyone from marginalised groups, assuming that the kind of progressive, in inverted commas, sector is going to be one that aligns with our values, one that is, you know, anti-racist or one that is anti-capitalist or all these things. And then we often find that these organisations actually just replicate all all the same harmful systems and socializations that we've experienced basically everywhere else in in our lives and then we start the uphill sorry um no. so i just wanted you to um maybe give a few examples like it'd be interesting to hear some examples i think you told me previously for example when you were a student you were working for centrelink so, mm. um, but also <laughs> yeah. maybe give some examples of the work you've done after you graduated um because i, I guess from um, my own knowledge there there is a movement there's for a long time there's been a movement within social work with radical social work trying to um, create alternative ways of doing things so of mm. course it's really disappointing you weren't experiencing it that in your own social work course yeah so I think that's really worth um, highlighting and mm. and I'm thinking also of the perennial struggle of social workers making a living within the system, universities being part of the system, mm. um, needing to operate like a business, but also that um, a, a imperative to um, to train, uh, an imperative that should be there to train social work students to, uh, I, I guess, mm. be more empowering. Well, it definitely was a conversation, uh, you know, when I was in my course. We talked about bottom-up approaches. We talked about lived experience. We talked about intersectional systems of oppression. Like, we did talk about all those things. But then, you know, simultaneously all the staff and faculty at the university were white, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and simultaneously, you know, there were no, um, there was just nothing that was geared towards, you know, queer people in the course or people of colour in the course. There was like just a, an, a really glaring omission, which I mean is what happens when mm. none of your faculty have lived experience of mm. being part of those communities as well. Mm. And when people are positioned as just practitioners versus clients rather than, you know, seeing those leadership roles as being one of in the same as the people who are in those communities who are actually, you know, having lived experience of the struggles and challenges that mm. they're facing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I also, I then also wrote my thesis, which, and I had really racist experiences in that where, you know, I wanted to do an, a kind of auto-ethnographic approach to my thesis because I, um, uh, aside from being totally self-absorbed and passionate about drawing on lived experience when we do research as opposed to these kinds of um, really removed, um, you know, objective or kind of colonial.
colonial approaches to research uh, and just the ways that lived experience knowledge was undermined mm. even, you know, by the coordinators and um, and also how much my the population I was speaking to and the research I was doing was, was misunderstood and mm. often, um, you know, reduced down to something that it wasn't and, mm. um, you know, being seen as too subjective or too biased because we're too close to the issue as if that doesn't actually make us the most qualified to speak on it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, and then um, after graduating, you worked in a couple of organisations where you were ca- trying to address some of these things. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really common with the organisations in the you know progressive sector is that even though they have social purpose, they're often, again, they're founded uh, by many of the same people, often middle or upper middle class people, often white people, um, often those who, you know, don't necessarily have experience with the Uh, issue that they are working on you know I think it's very common the kind of hero's journey you see in these organizations of some people touristing into you know a social issue and then creating an organization out of it um, to you know solve that problem without actually you know working with the communities who are experiencing it or even beyond that turning to what initiatives already exist within those communities because the majority of the time communities know the issues that they are facing and they're already organizing to challenge it but they might not have the access to resources or to networks or to the you know safety net to be able to create their own organization or to get money from big philanthropists to work on their project and so then inherently the privileged lens is the one that all of the organization is structured around and created from and that informs the policies it informs the processes it informs who is hired Uh, It informs the program delivery. And then we end up with programs that don't necessarily actually meet the needs of communities. Mm. Uh, And then, you know, when people of colour or marginalised people enter these organisations, we end up doing this massive uphill battle of trying to re-educate and advocate and point out what the issues are. But then, of course, we are kind of painted as the issue, you know, that we are difficult or unappreciative or rude or aggressive or any number of things uh, that, you know, end up often, you, you know, not only being really traumatising to us in those organisations, but end up pushing us out of those organisations entirely. So that's incredible. So you're, you're abused with in those organisations themselves that are meant to be creating change. Yes. In a, in a, in a, I'm guessing a sort of a top-down management, top-down command Super management. Super top-down. Yes, absolutely. Oh, how, how tragically iro- um, ironic. <laughs> yeah, totally. So on that note, we might go to some music, mm. which you've chosen. Thank you, Elsa. Uh, Bad Behaviour by Yara. Thank you. 
that was Bad Behaviour by Yara. Thank you for that lovely voice. Mm, yeah, amazing. And she's a friend of Elsa's. So yeah, too. what a boss. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, you're listening to Think Again, 3CR, 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Elsa Chewett rosenberg from Hugh, which is a social justice training and consultancy organisation. So, Elsa, before the break, you were talking about racism and harm against staff in community service organisations themselves um, that should know better, of course, mm. and you were talking about that from your own history. Uh, what do you think needs to happen and how are you trying to do things better and make change through your own work at Hugh? Mm. Yeah, so I guess there's the external work, so the work that we do with, um, you know, organisations, and then there's the internal work that we do as well. Um, and I think that, you know, you really kind of need to get your own house in order kind of thing if you're going to be consulting and advising on this kind of stuff. So we've worked really hard to create processes and uh, systems that are really different to the ones that we often find across the, you know, not-for-profit sector or, um, you know, the mo most of the for-change sector generally. Uh, I think we have a really big emphasis on, you know, our team's well-being, a really big emphasis on relationships as well. Uh, we really recognise the impact of and the, the need for, you know, therapeutic support and healing for mm -hmm. our team, particularly when we are doing work that is so tied to our own lived experience. Uh, we're also deeply, you know, enmeshed and uh, in love with our communities. Uh, you know, everything that we do is for the benefit of our communities and every success that we have is a success for our communities too. So, you know, that means running community events, having, um, you know, free and accessible support for our communities and, uh, you know, also wealth redistribution. So we do a lot of, um, you know, mutual aid work as well and um, any income that we get that, you know, is beyond just being able to pay our team. We redistribute into the community. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of the work that we do kind of internally like that. And then there's the work that we do with organisations. So we deliver workshops which are really designed to not only develop people's understanding around racism and how social injustice is replicated in organisations, uh, but also tools that they can use to start to dismantle those things, um, bringing awareness to cultural issues in organisations and particularly the root causes of those, many mm. of which come from capitalist and colonial systems uh, and, you know, starting to give people the tools to unpick those cultural traits that not only show up in their organisations but that show up in every aspect of our lives, show up in how we relate to each other, how we relate to the land mm. um, and that are really harmful to, to all of us and that really inhibit our... Um, you know, kind of collective liberation. So I think, you, you know, we start with the kind of organisational stuff, you know, you look at your policies, you look at your processes, but it's it's a much broader kind of healing that we're attempting to achieve by by working with the people that we do. Mm, and, and so I really like something that I read that you said in pro bono in mid-October last year about relationships, which seems to um, be relevant to the way you work as an organisation but mm. also with communities and I'll just read it because I think it's really worth reading it out. Relationships are at the root of everything we do. 
We recognise our position in the ecosystem of people and organisations doing this work, and we don't take shortcuts. We recognise that meaningful trust building takes time, and we've spent years developing our relationships in the community and showing up. These relationships are genuinely reciprocal, and the ways our communities have shown up for us and supported us at Hu is inextricable from our success. Mm, yeah. yeah, I think that um, seems to express a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, we really wouldn't be anything without the relationships that we have. And I have this amazing friend, Guy, who uh, works, uh, runs an organization called Permaqueer, uh, and they apply sort of ecosystems thinking to a lot of what they do. And they were sharing this with me recently, this, um, you know, that the principles of ecosystems and, you know, the natural world are applicable in everything because all of us are part of the the natural world and um, something that they shared that I found really meaningful was the ways that you know relationships are as essential in our ecosystems is is you know is replicated in in all aspects of our lives and and so when you apply that to you know our our organization we really recognize that without the relationships that we have we wouldn't we wouldn't be sustainable. We wouldn't be where we are now. It's the trust that we've built over, yeah, really years and years and years of working together that um, has supported us to have the success that we have, which is also why we think it's so important that when we succeed, our community succeeds as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Elsa. And we're coming to the end of our program so quickly. It always <laughs> The time always goes too fast. But um, this program is going to be repeated on May Day, which is coming up on 1st of May, so it gets repeated 6.30 on Monday. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that, is there anything you'd like to add about worker rights and worker conditions? For example, how might community workers and those in the community sector find heart and create change despite all the obstacles <laughs> and the restrictions and the oppressions that many people in the community sector are very mm. much experiencing? Or, or maybe you'd like to comment how management has to change. Mm. Oh, well, I mean, workers are creating change literally all the time. They're the ones that advocate for, you know, training for better conditions, for changed policies, for, you know, their basic, really basic rights to be treated like human beings, you know, rather than just workers, people who deserve to feel safe, uh, deserve to feel respected, deserve to have boundaries, deserve to not be discriminated against. Mm -hmm. um, workers really are, you know, pushing so hard for that change in those organisations because they are feeling the brunt of, you know, those terrible, uh, unjust policies. Um, but it, we also see that, yeah, the, the organisations that have successful change are the ones where that senior leadership and those people with power are on board as well because, you know, you'll churn through staff if, um, you know, you're not treating them well and, mm. uh, you know, if the conditions are not changing and you can have so many people who are, you know, really believing in wanting to change these systems. But if you don't have the support of upper management, it can be a really uphill battle. Um, but I definitely don't want to diminish the incredible work that people are doing because they are creating change in these organisations. Mm. And even though it is it is slow sometimes to get senior leadership on board, it is that slow transformation that is the most sustainable as well. So, um, yeah, we're seeing incredible work 
work out of communities and workers in these organisations. And um, yeah, if you can if you can hustle and advocate to get Hugh into those organisations so that we can you know support you to do some of that change, please do. Yeah. So and I, and I guess I want to give a plug for unions too who are, who mm. are uh, fighting who have been fighting for union rights for a long time and conditions. But I guess what I'm also hearing from you, Elsa, is that your expertise, your knowledge, wherever that comes from, um, from you it's obviously from a lot of lived experience um, as well as, um, you know, your analysis and training, but from your lived experience and from learning from your relationships and from other people. So I guess what I'm hearing is that in, in the community sector, often there's a com- these days there's very much a um, top-down command and control mm-hmm. um, approach. So mm-hmm. what happens then is um, the intelligence and the expertise of people in the organisations not necessarily appreciated. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, it might be looked on as, as a fly in the ointment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. So I can see you nodding a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, for for so long, lived experience has been undervalued. We live in a culture that, you know, prioritises objectivity, this idea that the further you are away from something, the more expert you are to speak on it, which just just isn't necessarily the case, you know. It's not to say that there's no place for objectivity sometimes, but also I would challenge what objectivity even is. You know, we all mm. have a perspective, we all have a standpoint, we all have experience that mm-hmm. informs our view and um, I think that the views of workers, the views of people who are being discriminated against, the views of people who are oppressed are the ones that are the most important to be listening to on those issues. Yeah, and I guess what you you would have, I'm sure, seen a lot of times is the big fallacy when there is uh, racism or discrimination mm. against groups, um, you know, for whatever reason, sexual orientation, mm. um, sexuality, uh, that those organisations see, often they see themselves as neutral. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that generally having privilege somehow assigns neutrality to you uh, and somehow those who have oppression are biased or over-emotional or overreacting or too close to the issue, which, you know, is just a product of the systemic discrimination that those groups are already experiencing in the first place. Yeah. <clears throat> well, in my when I was a community development student a mm. long time ago in the early 90s I was privileged enough to be um it was in the what was in the Brunswick Community Health Centre mm. I was in an access and equity team mm. um and I that was I had a very good placement and I really learned it during that placement how mainstream organizations that think they're neutral are just aligned with um, with the oppressors or the it, system yeah, or, without realizing it yeah. and it takes a lot of awareness raising it takes actually a lot of work and awareness raising to actually understand where the barriers and obstacles are oh and, yeah and it start- takes a lot of humility as you know I think that these these organizations when you get that high up in an organization as well you you end up coming with such an ego so much of the time that you have so much defensiveness over whenever someone raises something that challenges your worldview or perspective or your way of doing things. And that kind of defensiveness is so harmful and limiting in these organisations mm. and their capacity for change. Yeah, and I think you've also spoken a little bit bit about in workplace conditions in your own workplace is having enough time having enough time oh, yeah. to make relationships having having enough time yeah. and these days when a lot of organizations are fighting for contracts or mm. you know that to get a contract they say they can do so much for so little money yes. 
that um, there's a sort of, um, a, a, I think, imperative towards expedience, getting things done quickly. Yes. If you want to sit down and have a long conversation with me, <laughs> yeah. for example, Elsa, about, you know, why... You know the way um, you know the layout of our building, or totally. in the way the phone. I mean, are- our workshops are three and a half hours. Our, our first introductory workshop, anti-racism workshop, is three and a half hours. That gives us, you know, three and a half hours to unpack upwards of twenty, thirty, forty. 50, 60 years of conditioning into a racist system, not to mention the, you know, centuries-old institutions that we are learning these discriminatory um, views and ways of working from. Um, you know, we have three and a half hours to do that. We still get people contacting us asking if we can do it in 90 minutes, you know, yeah. asking if we can do it in 60. And it's like, no, that's actually not possible. You know, mm. the amount of time that has been put into creating these, these harmful and oppressive systems, you know, require the same amount of time and energy into dismantling them. Yeah. That's just how it works. And you're only asking for a fraction of that time. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. asking for another lifetime. Totally. And it demonstrates what their level of commitment is, really. If you can only spare 90 minutes, that's how much you care about anti-racism or oppression. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We, we do have to finish now. Thank <laughs> you so much, Elsa, for coming on Think Again today and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and and, you know, hopefully and uh, through you a bit of the wisdom and knowledge from your, your background mm, as well so much. and um, multiple perspectives that we need to take into account in workplaces and in the community sector. Mm, thanks so much for having me. And it has been a real pleasure. So on to our community announcements now. Uh, you can join the May Day festivities on Sunday 7th of May. <clears throat> in celebration of workers outside Trades Hall, corner of Ligon and Victoria Street, Carlton, which is just north of the Melbourne CBD, and that's from 10am. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Not everyone necessarily looking earnest and serious all the time. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be a breakfast barbecue, community stalls and more. The rally will begin at 1pm, accompanied by union-led choir singing and inspiring speeches about mobilising to fight for workers' rights in solidarity with others. So 3CR will have a stall at the event. Finally, thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Think Again live on 3CR Community Radio today. If you want to contact us, please email borderlands at borders at borderlands.org. Org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast and on the 3CR website at 3CR.org.au. Meanwhile, please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray. Milkumana. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.